Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Boy, good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad. Is it just me, or is it like the trees are really flowering this year? Is it me, or is it just really nice this year? Okay, maybe it's just me. I, I don't know. I just... It could, because, you know, driving in this morning, just the beautiful trees, and they're in bloom, and it just, we, we, can we just admit we had, so far, a pretty nice spring? It's just, it's just nice. Our lilac tree, which never blooms, it's dead. I try to spray it. It's actually got some lilacs on it this year. They're about this big, but there's something there. There's something brewing there, so I'm excited about that. We are so glad that you're with us here today. Those of you that are viewing online, so glad that you're with us here today. Uh, as you know, if you've been coming to Living Word any amount of time, we, uh, we go through different topics, different books of the Bible, and, and today we're in a, a series um, looking and understanding who the real Jesus is. And what we've been doing is, is we've been looking at if, if, you've, if you've ever read through the Bible and, or read through the New Testament, there are some words of Jesus that just like, wow, that sounds a little harsh. Like, this isn't, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, it's, it's kind of hard words. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the hard word of Jesus and not bypass them. Sometimes when we read something we don't understand, either we bypass it or we don't dig in to see what it means. And I want you to know that Jesus wants us to understand his words, and he doesn't use them lightly. And sometimes he has harsher words in certain situations to speak to our hearts. The, the biggest thing that keeps us from knowing God and experiencing his presence in our lives is us. It's our own lives. It's our own heart. And how many know that the proclivity of my heart wants to take care of my wife? Or my kids all the time, right? No, the preclude of our heart many times is to take care of who? Right, ourselves, right? It's, it's me. We want to take care of ourselves, and we're constantly fighting against that selfishness. The other thing you struggle with in your life is who really is in control of your life. And that's going to be a battle that we will always struggle with, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, is this control issue. And what we're going to see today, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at some pretty hard words of Jesus about control and about people seeing that they're wrong, that their hearts were hard. And so Jesus has some pretty harsh words for those who thought they were religious, for those who thought they followed God. It may have looked like it on the outside, but really they were following their own desires and their own will and not submitting to the Son of God. So how many of you like to be corrected, right? Do we, we love that, don't we? How many, of you, you, how many of you, like, when you're wrong, you own it? Like, when you're wrong, you're like, okay. I know for some of us, it's like it's a little hard to admit that we're, we're, we're right, we're wrong. And um, I remember one day I was picking up Pastor Brandon's house. We had a, a visitation to go to, and so, so I picked, it was near Pastor Brandon's house. So I said, Pastor Brandon, I'll just pick you up. So I'm driving down his driveway, and we get in the car, and um, Brandon noticed um, a bird on the side of his tree, on the trunk of his tree. And he goes, wow, that is a, um, a woodpecker. And I corrected Pastor Brandon because I am now a bird connoisseur. I know all about birds now, right? So I said, Brandon, that's, what are you talking about? It's not a bird. That's a, that's a white-breasted nuthatch, by the way. And Brandon's like, he doesn't know. And he's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry about that. So, you know, then I get home. I'm like, was I really? I don't think it. So I looked in my bird book and guess what? I was right. Brandon was wrong. No, Brandon was right. 
So I had to admit to Brandon that I was wrong about that. And so we, we, get, we get a good chuckle out of that. But it's not fun to admit when you're wrong. But how many know that a tender heart is always open to correction? And if we can be open to correction, and if we can hear and absorb the words of Jesus into our life, I guarantee your life will go a lot better. That doesn't mean everything's going to work out perfectly in your life. But when we relinquish control unto Christ and let him take control of our lives, we find a peace and a joy that we can never find in this world or me trying to be in control of my life. And what Jesus wants is he doesn't want a part of our heart. He doesn't want a part of our life. He wants every part of it. And the reason why is because Jesus came to give everything for us, to lay his life down as a sacrifice, to become a substitute for us, to pave the way for us to have a right relationship with God, which was destroyed because of our waywardness and our sin. And when we come to Christ and we lay our will down at his feet, we find freedom and joy and peace that we've been looking for all along. But it's hard because my heart gets in the way. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew chapter 11, and I want to look at Jesus' words, some very hard words, and I, I want us to understand what Jesus is saying here. And I believe if we receive these words, boy, it will help you in your life. It'll go a long way. And the reason why Jesus is hard is not because he's just trying to be mean, but he wants to point out how hard our hearts can become. That Jesus walks among them and shows them his mighty miracles and, and authenticates that he is the Son of God, yet they still were unwilling to believe in him, even with the miracles that were done before them because of the hardness of their hearts. So let's jump into Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew 11, verses 16 through 24. And Jesus speaking to those that were listening, some that were religious, some that just would not believe in Jesus. And this, this is what he says. He just lays it out. He minces no words here. So those that are listening know who he's talking to. So let's read what Jesus says. He says, what, what should I compare this generation? How can I c compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends, we played a wedding song, you didn't dance, played a funeral song, and you didn't mourn. For John, speaking of John the Baptist, John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you said, he has a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton, a drunkard, friend of tax collectors, and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Now, I, I want to stop there. Those words that Jesus said right there offended his listeners more than what he's going to say here. So I want you to say, now what he says here, you would think that's even worse than what he just said here. And we're going to pack why these first verses were more offensive to these religious people that were listening than what he says right here. Now, he gets, it, it gets even better. So let's see what Jesus says. Then Jesus begins to denounce the towns where he had done many of his miracles. For what reason? Because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow, Jesus says, waits for Chorazin, Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did had, done, had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads and showing their remorse. I tell you, even Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. 
And he says, the people of Capernaum, will, will you be honored in heaven? No, no. You will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done to wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. Ouch. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we come before you. These are hard words. But Jesus, I pray that you would give us soft hearts to hear your hard words. And that that your hard words produces soft hearts. Soft words many times produce hard hearts. But we want to be soft and we want to hear you. We want to know you, Jesus, for who you really are, for who you say you are. Not what other people say, but what do you say? We want to follow that, Jesus. So give us ears to hear this morning, I pray, in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Okay, so let's dig into this. At first glance, it seems, man, this is rough, Pastor. It, it's, it, it seems rough. These words are very, very hard. So what's going on here? What Jesus is doing He's really correcting those who hadn't believed in him. Um, he comes before them. He shows them. He performs miracle after miracle in these cities. And you would think that they would repent, but they didn't. They rejected Jesus even with all the miracles. Now, why didn't they believe? What was the issue here? Because the issue wasn't the miracles. Because people were coming to him. People were following him. What was the issue with this certain group of people? Well, Jesus shows them who he is. He shows them his mighty power, and yet they still wouldn't believe. So this is the problem when some would say, you know, I'll believe in God when he shows me a sign. Right? When Jesus shows me a sign, when he spells out his name, when I'm eating my Cheerios in the morning, then I'll believe. You know, when he shows himself up in the clouds and does these miraculous things, then, then I'll believe in him. And, and what do we learn from this passage? That's not necessarily so. God, if you do this for me, then I'll believe. And what Jesus does is miracle after miracle, hundreds of miracles before them, yet they still didn't believe in him. And so we can look at our, the expanse of our universe. Isn't it amazing? Let's just take our universe for a moment. We can look at the expanse of the universe and still not believe that there's a creator. I mean, it's amazing. When you look at all the stars and you look at the universe, doesn't it make you just feel small? And yet we can still refuse to believe that there's some creator behind all of this that we can still believe that this is all happenstance, that all this stuff happened by accident. Yet God screams from his creation, hey guys, I'm here. I created you. I created this universe to show my glory to you that you would know that there is a God. Not only does he do that, but God gets very specific in a special revelation where he sends us his son who is fully God and fully man, right here on earth to live amongst us, to show us the way to God. See, here's the difference with every other world religion. I'm just going to explain it very simply. The the difference between every other world religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ is this. Jesus already did it for you. Every other world religion is you making your way to God. I can explain If I had a ladder up here, I've done this before. The ladder is every other world religion, you've got to climb up the ladder and see how close you get to God by your religious works. And hopefully, hopefully, you can reach God. What God does for you and I, which makes Christianity totally different and a relationship with Jesus totally different, is Jesus comes down the ladder and was born in human form to live among us and to show us the very glory of God by living in our mess. 
That's how much God loves you. And what Jesus does is he then shows us the ways of the Father. He says, I will do everything for you that you can't do for yourself. And I will appease the righteous anger. I will appease God's judgment. I will, I will meet all the requirements that, that a holy God has in my perfect life. And all I ask is that you put your faith in me and believe that I'm the only way to God. And watch how your life changes when you put your faith in the living Savior, Jesus Christ. But here Jesus comes as the Son of Man and he, he lives among them. He shows them his miracles and those that were humble at heart saw who Jesus was and they followed him. But those who were hardened in their hearts, what is the reason? Why would they not believe when you would see these miracles right before them? See, what's amazing to me and, and the foolishness of the, of the human heart is like, I mean, it's just simple things because I, I think in simple terms, right? So it, it would be like a car saying, I designed myself. We all know that there's a do designer behind a car, right? Like if you look at a Lexus, it's pretty interesting. The front of every Lexus, a car, as you look, is designed to look like Darth Vader because the owner, the CEO of, of Lexus loves Star Wars. Who, how many Star Wars fans out there? Woo, woo, right? Okay, all you nerd, Star Wars nerds, okay? Um, that, that's what it's, so he loves Star Wars, so if you look, it, it, so next time you see Alexis, go, oh, I see, there's Darth Vader's mask. Luke, you're my son, or however he says, okay, anyways, okay. And, and so, but, but no car is going to say, I designed myself, there's a designer behind that. It would be foolish to say that. So what's going on with Jesus' words, and why Jesus' words are so direct? So what Jesus is doing with those that are listening, those that were religious, those that didn't want to receive Christ, those that didn't want to repent, he's exposing their hearts. He's exposing the reality of their heart. No amount of miracles could ever change a hardened heart. And that's what Jesus is looking at. It couldn't change their heart. Um, it, it, it wasn't... The problem is, I think when we walk in Christianity, we might have some questions like, God, wh why are you doing this? Or, you know, wh what's the reason for this? It's okay to ask questions and it's, and it's good to seek for answers because we may have doubts and how are these things? And there's, there's answers if we, we seek them. Many sadly will never do that. They will just make an excuse and say, well, I don't want to know. I don't care to know. And, you know, just churches this way and they just have their minds made up and they're stubborn and they never seek answers to their questions. And I want people to ask questions. I think it's important. As a church, we should be willing to answer the skeptics' questions and not marginalize them. And so for those who seek, God said, you will find. And I love stories of those who were, you know, maybe atheist at first and just didn't believe in God and they went out to disprove God and who Jesus was. And in all their search and all their research, they ended up becoming believers because the evidence was so overwhelming about the person of Jesus Christ. And I love um, hearing those stories. But who is Jesus? Why, why is this different? Why are these people different? Because they really didn't want to know the answer. They didn't care. They saw the miracles right before them. And so Jesus is dealing with people who simply rejected him. And they had made up their minds and they weren't going to be, uh, they, they weren't going to change no matter what. And th there's an interesting passage in the end of the book of Matthew. And what we understand in this passage is that on many occasions, Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection to teach them many things and before his ascension. So right before his ascension, Jesus was with his disciples and some other people and he commanded them to go into all the world and make disciples. 
So he's encouraging them. He goes, go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make disciples. You know, listen, I'm with you to the very ends of the earth. He, he's just, he's encouraging them. Um, and Jesus is getting ready to leave and to go up to heaven. Now, there's something recorded for us in that very passage, Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17. And, and many of us know the Great Commission to go into all the, the world and make disciples. But there's a little troubling word here in one of these verses. Let me read it for you. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when he saw them, they did what? They worshipped him. He saw Jesus again, they worshipped him, and then Jesus would soon be ascended to heaven. But then what are the words after that? But some doubted. Are you kidding me? You've got to be are you you've got to be serious. Are you kidding me? There are those that witnessed all his miracles. They see the scars in his hands and his feet, and yet they still doubted. Now, this, this is so disturbing to me. With all the evidence, Jesus showing them the nail-scarred hands, appearing to them after his death and his resurrection, some still doubted. Barry Leventhal says, There are none who are as deaf as those who do not want to hear. See, what, what Jesus does for us here is Jesus points out how hard our hearts can be and why some don't believe. And so what Jesus does is he uses a story to illustrate what he saw in many hearts and many of those that he spoke to that were just hardened to him and who he was. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to Matthew chapter 11. Because the most offensive part of Matthew chapter 11 is at the very beginning. Not when he curses all those towns because, because they wouldn't repent. The most offensive part comes in the story that he shares at the very beginning. So I want us to look at those. Those who are listening with hardened hearts were not too happy with what Jesus was saying. They knew he was pointing this story at them. So Jesus' words saying repent, Jesus calling, calling it for what it was, and he's not mincing any words with those that are listening. So the real offensive part here in this chapter is Jesus' words in verses 16 through 19. So let me read them to you again, and let's understand what Jesus meant here. Because if you just casually read, you're like, okay, what's the big deal here? What's the big deal with the story? And why would those listening at the time see that this was the most offensive part of what Jesus was saying? So let's read again. To what can I compare, Jesus says, to this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played a wedding song, you didn't dance, we played a funeral song, and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating, drinking, and you said he's possessed by a demon, the son of man on the other, and feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So what he does here is he compares many that were listening and the religious leaders who had rejected him as little children who are consistently bickering. That was the thing that was most offensive. Now, those of you can, can kind of understand, those of you who have um, young children, you know, the sibling, you know, when siblings and the kids 
get in arguments. I know some of you that never happens in your house, right? There's never any bickering, any fighting. Um, you know, Jimmy did this to me and he poured paint on my head. Right, you know, you just constantly, you know, it's all that constant fighting and bickering. You know, I had a twin sister and an older sister and they would gang up on me all the time. You know, everybody said, oh, poor Pastor Ryan. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, it was tough, man, but it made me who I am today, right? Um, I can remember just going on long trips and you know back in back in the day um we didn't have the minivans you know we didn't have the bucket seats the big video screens every kid on their own ta- now it's tablets everybody's got their own tablet everybody can watch their everything's individualized now everything you know cup holders refrigerators the seats go all the way back not my day we lived rough it was old school 1972 Buick two-door Regal vinyl seats. Whoever designed vinyl seats, I had no idea what they're thinking about. Remember vinyl seats and you just stick to them? So we had this great idea to drive all the way to Florida, 23 hours from Rochester to West Palm Beach, Florida, where my great-grandmother lived, in, in, in the 1972 Buick Regal vinyl seats, two-door, me, my two sisters in the back seat. Nothing could go wrong there, right? No, this is a great idea. Let's do this together. Let's all drive 23 hours and just put everybody in this small car with vinyl seats and let's just see what happens, right? It was bliss. It was joy. It was wonderful. No, it was... So how many had dads like this where he'd have one hand on the steering wheel? Remember the bench seats in the front of the car? You just said, was this the bench that goes... So you, could, you could put... We used to put five people right in the front seat. You could do that back in the day, right? And... Um, He'd be driving with his one hand and the back hand would just be swinging to whoever he could get near, right? Remember that? Just stop it back. Don't make me pull this car. I will pull this car over, right? So I think my dad dropped me off in North Carolina one time for a little bit when I was being really bad. But listen, we we all know. So here's what Jesus does. He compares this generation, those with hardened hearts, to little children bickering in the square of the town. So here's, here's what's interesting about this. Jesus tells them that there are like selfish children who want their own way, who want their own way. So Jesus tells us this, and I love, Pastor Kel, uh, Keller says it this way, I love this. He says, Jesus tells us that we should become like children. We should be childlike when we come to him. But there's an opposite that Jesus is saying with these that are listening. He's talking about their childish ways. Don't be childish in your ways. So let me explain verse 17. So the person listening to Jesus would understand this story. For you and I, this doesn't, may not make a whole lot of sense. But what's going on here is children would be with their parents, and they would be in the public square where there'd be a lot of buying and selling, and the kids would have to be there, and they'd have to be there all day. And so what they would do is when they're there all day, they'd make up games. So when you're making up games, you'd have uh, one kid that would be the leader and say, hey, let's play this. And then the kids would, would want to follow and play that game. And so basically you would have the two biggest events in any small town would be a wedding, which would last for probably a week. And then you'd have a funeral. That was another big event in the town, those small towns during that time. And so the kids would mimic these events. They'd mimic a wedding. They'd mimic the funeral. And this is what Jesus is talking about. 
And so children would be with their parents in the marketplace, in the public square. They'd be buying and selling things, waiting for their parents, and so they would play these games. Remember that as a kid when you would go clothes shopping with your parents and you'd hide in the clothes racks and two guys and Neisners, and, right? Remember that, you know, the gold circle? Remember the, everybody remember gold circle? Now it's Walmart, Target, you know, and you'd hide in the clothes rack. So basically this is what, these are the two games that they would play. The big events were a wedding and a funeral. And so they would play these games in the, the funeral. We understand what if people that would be weeping and more, mourning, crying, and they would be singing songs. And, and when Jesus, when he says that this generation, he says, listen, this generation, those that refuse to repent and believe in me are childish. It, it's like children getting into little squabbles over little things. I didn't get my way because I wanted to be in charge. And, and what the children would do is they would get together, they would play this game, and you'd have one person that was a leader, but you'd always have someone who didn't like the game that they were playing. No, I want to play this game. I don't like that game. Why do you have to be the leader? You're always the leader, right? Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? And why can't I sit in the front seat? They sit in the front seat. I yeah, 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 right? It's, so, so, so they would pretend, and they would have a, a wedding, and maybe someone would pretend to play the flute, someone would lead it. But then you'd always have someone, someone in the children's group who didn't want to play, and they would say, well, this is a dumb game, and we don't want to play this game. And then the leader would say, okay, you don't have to play this game, but let's, let's sing a sad song. Let's have a funeral procession. <laughs> and then, and then the, the mean person group, well, I don't want to do that. Let's, let's, let's do something different. That's, that's dumb. See, what's really going on here? This is what Jesus is getting to. And you'd say, well, Pastor, why would this be so offensive? Why would Jesus sharing the story about being childish be so offensive? Let me tell you why it is. What's really going on here? What's really going on here is that they weren't getting their own way. See, Jesus comes along and he upsets the apple cart. See, they had their own little religious system, their ways, and all of a sudden Jesus comes along and begins to expose their heart. So it wasn't, it, it, so what do they do? They start making up names. Wait, Jesus, you hang out with sinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then John the Baptist, you got a demon. And none of it's true, but they didn't like them, so they resorted to what? Name calling. Name calling. Discrediting them. Marginalizing them. That, that's what happened. So because they weren't getting their own way, I don't care what you do, I'm going to choose to be indifferent and unhappy. See, the kids didn't like the game because they wanted to be the leader. I wanted to play the flute. I wanted to, to lead. I wanted to lead the procession. See, the thing, that you're going to con the thing that you are going to struggle with the most in having a relationship with Jesus Christ is control. Are we going to give control up to God completely. Not part of my life, but complete control to God. See, there's two things that we struggle with the most. We, we, we struggle with control, and what Jesus is saying here, we struggle with our heart. Because the proclivity of my heart is to take care of me. And Jesus is saying, unless you give me complete control and let me lead, you're never going to truly be happy. See, and one reason they didn't want to give up control is they wanted to be in charge no matter what the leader said, they didn't like it. And so Jesus is using this story to say this, you are children who want to be in charge and you don't want to lay your lives down before me. See, they didn't like John, so they said he had a demon. They didn't like Jesus, they said he's a drunkard and a glutton. 
And it just came down to, to name-calling with no truth whatsoever. See, what Jesus is saying is you couldn't please the religious. Nothing was good enough. You know, it's too hot in the synagogue. It's too cold. It's too, the music is too loud. The music is too soft, blah, 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 right? It's just you could never, ever please them. And so what they resorted to was just name-calling and marginalizing Jesus and John the Baptist. See, here, here's the thing Jesus is, is trying to show this crowd, and the reason why his words are, are so direct. It's for this reason. It's Jesus knows our hearts. He knows us. He knows what sin can do to our lives. He knows what control can do in our lives if we don't give up control to him. And listen, we will live very uh, uncomfortable, I could say, lives or just unhappy lives. And the reason why many times our lives are unhappy or we, feel, or we feel unsatisfied in our lives is really boils down to a control issue. I, I want to do it my way. I, I want to do it this way. And see, when we come to Jesus Christ, we literally lay our rights down at the foot of the cross. Why? Is it because God is mean and he just wants to control everything about our lives? No, it's because Jesus came to give everything for us. Jesus shows us the way by becoming a servant for us, by laying down his life. He didn't come to serve, but he, he, didn't, he didn't come to, to, to be served, but to serve us and give his life as a ransom for us. When I understand that, what Jesus did for me, now I serve him out of a grateful heart. I serve him because I want to serve him. I gladly lay my life down at his feet because of what he has done for me. That's where the freedom comes. But when Jesus faced these religious people and those that refused to believe, what they did is they didn't want Jesus to control their lives. They didn't want to lay their lives down. They, they looked good on the outside. They looked very religious on the inside, but, or on the outside, but on the inside they were very controlling and manipulative and they wanted other people to do what they say. And so what happens is there is this culture within the time of Jesus where religion was very controlling. You've got to do it our way. So they put very heavy burden, burdens on people's lives. He says, if you don't do it this way, then you can't be one of us. And so a lot of people just said, we can't do it. All these heavy burdens that these religious leaders are placing on us, we just can't do it. And many people just gave up. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes and shows a different way and exposes the hearts of these leaders. You see, they didn't really care about the relationships that they had with other people. All they cared about was being right. Now, listen, we need to hear that today in our culture. What has happened in our culture has become so polarized on, on, on these just divisive issues that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens is with these, with, with these divisive issues that aren't pertinent to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what's, what happens is we, we get so like, worked up about trying to be right that what we end up losing is the relationship. And see, Jesus cared about people. He wanted them to have a relationship with him. But the very people that were supposed to show them how to relationship with God were the very stumbling blocks in their lives. And what Jesus does is he comes to remove all the hindrances that would keep people from coming to him. And so the religious leaders said, well, you've got to do it this way, and then you've got to do it this way, and then you've got to do it this way, and there's all these hurls and hurls and hurls, and people say, we can never do it, and then they felt like failures. 
And many just gave up. And what Jesus does is he comes and removes all those obstacles that keep us from knowing God by giving his very life for you and I, by becoming a substitute on the cross for you and I. Jesus cares about his relationship with you. Jesus could have easily come and just thrown out the truth and just said, listen, you're all just have disappointed me. You're all wrong, blah, 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 and just gave the truth and beat us all up. No, what does he do? He comes to serve us, to show us the way back to God by giving his very life for you and I. The ones that were keeping people from God were the ones that they thought they had it all together, that refused to listen to the very Son of God because he spoke to their hearts and their hearts were more in love with their rules than they were in love with God. We need to be really careful today. Listen, we all have our opinions and that's fine. But, but when our opinions are different from the very truth of the word of God, we need to be really careful. Because what it can end up doing is, is we care more about being right than actually restoring the relationship. And so what Jesus does is he comes to restore what? A broken relationship that we have with God by giving his very life for you and I. At the heart, listen, at the heart of the gospel message is reconciliation. Jesus gave his life to reconcile us back to a right relationship with God the Father. What broke that relationship was my sin. And Jesus came to become my sin offering. He who is perfect in every way bore my sins so that now I could have a relationship with God the Father. So what Jesus does is he exposes the hearts of those who were putting burdens on people. So what is the answer? What, what is the answer to my heart? What is the answer that if, if I've allowed my heart to grow cold or indifferent, or maybe my heart is bitter because of broken relationships, or maybe I'm living in this world today and I'm just tense and there's so much bickering and fighting going on. How, how do we break that and allow our hearts to be tender before the Lord and allow him to speak to us? I don't know. No, I'm sorry. I know. I, I've got the answer. I just want to see if you're listening. Just want to see if you're there. Matthew chapter 11. Here is the answer. Here's what Jesus says. For those who were burdened, for those who felt like they could never have a relationship with God, those who felt like the religion of the time were putting heavy burdens on them, here's the answer that Jesus gives us. Jesus, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Now he's talking about those who were weary and, and heavy laden because of the religion at the time that was placing all these burdens on them. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. And this is what he says in verse 29. This is key. He says, then take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And when you come to me and you come to my humble heart and you see my gentle spirit, you will find rest for your souls. And this is the reason why, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, that doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. That doesn't mean when you say, oh, Jesus, I come to you in my life and everything's going to be perfect in my life. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to take my yoke upon you. 
See, what, what, is that, what is he asking us to do? Jesus is saying, listen, at, at first glance, it says it doesn't make sense. It, it, this yoke was a wooden frame that you would join two animals together for work. It's cumbersome. It's heavy. Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke and I want you to yoke yourself to me. Well, is it going to be burdensome? Is it going to be heavy? Because think about it. If, you've, if you yoke two animals together and one's weaker than the other, then the stronger one's going to have to do double the work to carry the weight of the weaker animal. But Jesus saying, no, 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 no. My yoke is different. The yoke of religion is going to burn you out. The yoke of you trying to become better, the yoke of you trying to impress the world, the yoke of whatever that thing you might attach yourself to, it's going to burn you out. The yoke of you always trying to want to be right, all this other stuff is going to burn you out. It's not going to give rest to your soul. It's not going to bring you peace, but my yoke is different. And the reason why Jesus' yoke is different is he's already done all the work for us. He's already accomplished everything for you. So when we take on the yoke of Jesus, what we're saying is, Jesus, I want you in my life. I invite you to come there, and I'm going to take your yoke upon me. Now, Jesus doesn't get us into a chokehold or, you know, full Nelson and says, do it my way, right? No, what he does is, the yoke literally means it's fitting. It's fitting. It's right. Take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul. So what does that mean? It means that I'm going to relinquish my life and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you complete control. I am linking myself with you completely and I'm going to give you control and you will find rest and you will find peace. See, whether you realize it or not, we are all bound to something. We are all yoked to something. Listen, what are you yoking your life to? What are you attaching it to? So if you don't have rest for your soul, if you're burdened, if you're constantly worried, if you're anxious all the time, what are you attaching your life to? See, a controlling heart is a yoke around us that keeps us from knowing Jesus. And what Jesus said to those who wouldn't listen, your religious spirit is keeping you because you've yoked yourself to that and it's keeping you from knowing me. But he says, for those with humble hearts who want to know me, come to me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus desires to give us rest. He helps us with our past, with all our messiness. When we come to him and find forgiveness, there's freedom, there's forgiveness, that he covers us in his precious blood and he forgives us and he gives us a new life and there's freedom in that. But Jesus, you've got to yoke yourself to me. You can't have, you know, part of your life in the world and part of your life with me. Not going to work. It's not going to work. See, when I pursue Christ, I take his yoke on me. And Jesus says, my yoke will lead to rest and to freedom. And so the question I have for you is, what thing in your life are you having trouble giving control over to God? What thing in your life are you having trouble with? There's a control issue. Maybe there's, maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart. And you've been holding on to this thing and God's been speaking to you about it. See, the wonderful thing about reading God's word and listening and heeding God's word 
when you come to his word with a humble heart, he will speak to you. And the reason why he speaks to our heart and our waywardness is because he loves us. And when you have a tender heart before the Lord and you listen to his words, God will minister to you. He will speak to you. And the peace and the acceptance that you've been looking for is found in Christ Jesus, period. So what are you struggling with today? What are you struggling with today? Where, where have you hitched your wagon? I should have called that. I should have titled my message that. Where have you hitched your wagon, right? Where have you hitched it? Jesus says, come to me. All you are heavy laden, all you are burdensome, and I will give you rest. You will find peace for your souls. Those that Jesus ministered to, the reason why he was hard on them is because they refused to believe and find peace in him. They were more in love with their religion than they were with truly knowing God. And Jesus says, you will never find freedom for your souls if that's your pursuit. That's what I love about Jesus Christ. He's done everything for us. Everything. So what are you struggling with today? What are you batting with today? Take Christ's yoke upon yourself and learn from him. And he will never let you down. He's a perfect savior in every way. Amen? Aren't you glad for his grace? He's so patient with us. His grace never runs out. I'm so glad he's gracious to me. So he's waiting for you to come and just lay those burdens at his feet. Let him minister to you. Let him give you peace, his peace and his freedom today that you've been looking for. Father God, I want to thank you for your word today. Lord, I, I thank you that, Lord, your words are hard because, Lord, you realize what you offer us, but yet so many times we are indifferent because we want to do it our own way. We want to be in control. But Lord, I pray that you would show us that when we give you complete control in my life, the opposite happens. We find freedom. We find freedom. And we find the peace that we've been looking for. So Lord, I just pray for everyone that's here today. Some are going through some really difficult trials in their life, difficult circumstances in their life. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself faithful to them, that they would lay those burdens at your feet because you care for us. I pray, Lord, that, that when we yoke ourselves with you, you walk with us through all those circumstances and situations and that your word is true, that you say you will never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God, we meet, may we consistently be reminded that when we are yoked to you, we will find peace and rest for our souls. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we know, that you are walking with us and that you will never let us go. Thank you for being a perfect Savior in every way. And I pray as we come before the table today and take communion as a church, Lord, that we would be reminded of your great perfect sacrifice that you did for us, God, that we would never forget what you did for us and what you accomplished for us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your communion cup there and as you take it, the top, if you remember the top foil, we'll take out the, we'll do it together and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. 
you can take the wafer off at the top on the top foil and then the next will, will, will let you get to the juice there. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. I, I, I just want you to look at the emblems today and realize how powerful it is when we take communion together as a church. Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me, his body that was given for us, his blood that was shed for us. It's a reminder that Jesus has accomplished everything for you. Your past, present, and future sins are covered. They are covered. And when we come to him, he forgives us and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus has accomplished everything for you and I. When we do this, we're reminded of his wonderful sacrifice that he accomplished for us that we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. And so what happens is it creates a grateful heart in me, knowing what Jesus did for me, knowing the grace that was poured out upon me that I didn't deserve or merit. Guess what? Jesus says, I don't want it to stop with you. Receive my grace, receive my love, receive my forgiveness. Now live it in your everyday life. Offer, let my grace flow through you and offer it to those who don't deserve it. Let's be grace-filled people in this world today. Let's understand where people are coming from, what they're struggling with. Let's understand that Jesus was patient with Barden when he shouldn't have been patient with me, that he showed me his grace and his love as he died for me on the cross. Let's see that in other people. That is a soul that Jesus gave his life for and they need to be seeing his grace. Please don't take communion haphazardly and not realize that there's a commitment that needs to be made. That when we take communion, not only are we saying, Jesus, you died for me, but you died for the person that I'm irritated with or the person that I don't like or the person that I may have had a fallout with. You died for that person too. God, give me your heart in that situation that the grace you showed upon me needs to be displayed to that person. That person needs you too. So allow me to pray for them. Allow me to pray for them. Pastor, you could have stopped your sermon five minutes ago. Now you're asking me to pray for those that irritate me, right? Yes. Don't take communion without being willing to say, Jesus, I'm going to take communion and I'm going to pray. I'm going to be the first one that reaches the handout for reconciliation. Break my heart. Break my heart. So please don't take communion unless you're willing to allow the Lord to speak to your heart. How many know it's much easier to receive than it is to give? Jesus says, I want you to give. I want you to give my grace away. I want you to experience, as you experience my love, I want you to give that same love away. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for the bread that we hold in our hands. We thank you that your body was given for us. We thank you for this cup that symbolizes your blood that was given for us. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. So we thank you as we take this as a church. I pray, God, for living word. I pray that you would bind us together, Lord, through Jesus Christ, that our differences, Lord, would come under the precious blood of Christ, that we would show grace and mercy to each other, that, Lord, we would be able to put up with each other's inconsistencies, that we would be the first ones to reach out and reconcile and love each other through our differences, Lord. May it, oh, it can only be done through you, Jesus. 
It can only be done by us realizing what you have accomplished for us. Let us be the church that you've called us to be. So we thank you for your word today. As hard as, it, as, hard as your word is, God, I thank you that you say it because you love us and you want us to experience your fullness. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you as we partake today of your body and of this precious blood, Lord. We thank you for what it symbolizes in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. Let's take the body and we'll take the cup together. God bless you. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Would you, if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to sing this beautiful song of the blood of Christ in closing today. Let's just sing this unto the Lord and thank Him for what He's done for us. Amen. Can we thank the Lord this morning for His wonderful word? God is good. Amen.